This is Kari Gale. And this is Tony Critz. Welcome to the Pilgrim Lost Podcast, a space for those who wander and wonder. Good morning, Tony. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So we're just going to start out by <clears throat> apologizing for Tony's cold because he's, yeah. he's a little stuffy. A little raspy. We had to we had to postpone this recording. We were going to do it yesterday, but I was under the weather. And now you're are you above it? I'm 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 in the weather. <laughs> you're in the weather. Well, I'm hoping that this tea will help because you brought this amazing, beautiful tea. So, if you guys remember from the last podcast, I was being challenged by caffeine, not drinking it, and um, I have discovered the beauties of Ruibos, and. Uh, I've been drinking a Ruibos chai, and then this is also Ruibos. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it's a <clears throat> it's a cinnamon spice Ruibos. Okay, I'm gonna say I'm saying Ruibos. Is it Ruibos? I, I always say Ruibos. Ruibos. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. know. I'm, it's darn good. Tea. I'm not that educated, but <laughs> it's great. It's from it's from Townshend's, which now is Brew Doctor. But I love this this tea. No caffeine. No sugar. It tastes as satisfying as a cup of coffee. It's, I mean, it's so full flavored and, oh. It is, it is really delicious. I, I normally have to put some honey in my tea or some sweetener of some sort. No, can you believe there's no sugar in this? No, I can't. Flavors pop. So go out and buy some, guys. Um, We're not getting, (laughs) whenever we talk about something we love, it sounds like we're being sponsored, but we're not. But hey, Townsend's or... uh, (laughs) Brew Doctor, yeah. if you're listening to this, we'll, you know, throw some dollars. We'll talk about it some more. <laughs> we are more than willing to make you the official beverage of Pilgrim Lost. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think that that's a thing. Yeah. Then we'd have then we'd have kombucha. Oh, my. And tea. Tea. We would even wear a T-shirt, even though no one could see it. We would wear the T-shirt. Um, so this month, we are going to be talking about community. That was the plan. That was yeah. that's what the calendar says. Yeah. So we we've chatted a little bit about it, but we decided that this year each month was going to have a theme that we would try to really embrace and and in some way incorporate into our podcast and also into the guests that we were having on the podcast. And this month we chose community, and the idea of community is so multifaceted. Right. And when you think of community. There's so many, you can think of family, you can think of friends, you can think of uh, your work community. There's community in really every facet of life. So, in fact, I was actually just at our community center. So I work out in our little local oh, community center called Dishman. And I didn't know you did, went to Dishman. I do. I go to Dishman. And I'll be honest, when I first, I was looking for a gym and I've always gone to LA Fitness or some chain gym and I currently don't have a car so when I look at where I go to the doctor or where I want to shop I want it to be within walking distance so the gym that was in walking distance was Dishman Community Center so I wander over there gonna check it out pay my little tryout fee and I walk in and it's it's a community center. It is a very diverse community center. It's an old community center in Portland. Yes. Old pool, beautiful. Yes. It 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 was uh, definitely different than the LA Fitness. <laughs> 
I walked into the the workout room. So I mostly, uh, I like to lift weights and I get on the machines and uh, I don't, not a big pool person. Chlorine's hard on my skin, so I don't really mm. go there, although I would love to. But uh, I walk into the, the workout room and and I'll just say, you know, it's a community center. There's not a lot of machines. It, they're all old and they're kind of rickety and they make noises and there's a smell to that gym. <laughs> As community often does. As community does have a smell. And um, the people were so nice. Um, I was, in fact, as I walked into that room, the minority. Hmm. And that was an interesting thing for me in a gym. That has never been the case. And I looked around and I thought, do I want Do I want to go here? And uh, I had gone to the LA Fitness uh, a few days before that had a lot of wonderful, you know, schmancy machines and this and that. And I thought, you know, I want to go to my community center. I'm going to make a leap. I'm going to try this. And I have to tell you, it's been so wonderful. The people there are fantastic. It literally, when I walk in, if I get up in the morning, which is a rare occasion, but when I get up in the morning, there is a crowd of folks um, that work out in the morning. Hmm. Um, I'm probably the youngest. And when I enter the room, it's like cheers. It's like, Kari, you made it. (laughs) And people say, how are you? We haven't seen you, which is usually the case. We haven't seen you. (laughs) But... It is so warm and um, like I know all the staff there. They greet me. Um, there's there like when you think of the word community, this is what's happening at Dishman. Yeah. And a community center is different than like going to 24 hour fitness in that it really is a neighborhood manifest. You don't drive from across town to go to Dishman. No. I mean, Dishman, your walking distance, your biking distance it, it is your actual neighbors. And in our transient world where we climb into cars and we, and we sort of disappear from humanity and then we like pop up in another place when we climb out of our car and we can take on another role along the way, this is very different. Like you walk there, it's your actual neighbors. You can't avoid them. I think it's, I think it's great. The, the, one of the things that has been really wonderful is um, when, when I when I engage with people, we, sometimes I don't get a lot of weightlifting done because I hear stories and people share what's going on. And there's a woman there named Kathy, who's an older um, African-American woman who's been going through a ton of health issues. Mm. And, uh, but the first day that we were there, she had been going through another issue and we started talking and uh, I said, so how long have you been going Dishman and she pointed up on the wall and they have photos of their of the people that have been going there and kind of the stories of transformation of health you know from wow yeah and there was a picture of her and she was running uh like a 10k and she looked so great and I it was just really fun to have her point to that picture and say I'm struggling right now but that's who I am how long ago was a picture taken do you think I gosh it could have been like 10 years ago wow yeah yeah uh but but the but really there's friendship there. There's camaraderie. And here's another thing I love about it. There are people from every walk of life. Right. There are young kids. There are lots of people that are elderly. There are people of every um, race. It, it's really uh, probably the most diverse group of people I engage with in my life. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's been a really wonderful experience of community. Now, 
on the flip side, we can have not so great experiences in community. Community's complicated. Yeah. I mean, I th- one of my challenges when I walk out in the world is a lot of times these things are discussed in such glowing terms, such idyllic terms, and community is hard. And um, I just came literally before I walked through the door today, I just came from one of my community spaces. It's a space I've been in for 15 years. It's very, it's um, a diverse conversation about life and faith. And this morning, I was the only white male in the room. Is and that is that usual? Sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and we were discussing how we see the world and different things. And and I I, I spend ninety five percent of my time just sitting and listening and trying to understand because people are talking from perspectives very different than mine. But this morning, a question was asked, and I offered an answer that was different than what was what was being preached. And um, when I tried to explain my position, um, I, I wasn't allowed to speak. And so I, I raised my voice to say, no, I, I've been listening. Now Now I get to explain my particular position on this topic that I'm, I'm, I think you could say I'm at least informed on, if not an expert about, you know. And uh, it just, I got, I got cussed out. I got F-bombed. I got kicked get the F out of here. You're not welcome here. Wow. This isn't your place. Why do you come? I mean, it was just this very wow. violent screaming. And, um, and these, these are my people. I was I mean, going to say, are these, are these, are these, these are like acquaintances? People. Are these friends? No, these are, these are, we've been in life together for 15 years. And, wow. um, and that this, I'm not telling this story so that I, and the good guy or the bad guy or someone else is a good guy or a bad guy, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is there's these moments that are hard. Yeah. And the hard takes on a lot of different forms. In this particular moment, I pressed a button that probably, because I'm not aware enough of the people that I love, and I, I can be a little petulant, I pressed a button that caused me to experience this very... Um, strong, visceral, I mean, strong, I mean, get out, get out of here. You're not welcome here. You know, very strong words. I'm like, we've been doing this for 15 years on a weekly or more than weekly basis. And I walked away and I was, I was like shaking. I was, you know, shaking, not, not a fear or anything like that. I was shaking because, um, it, it just struck me so deeply and naturally, naturally, and I think this is some of my programming as a, as an American, as a, you know, middle-class American, um, everything in me just wanted to go. I'm, I'm done. Mm. I'm ready. I'm ready to just burn 15 years of history with these people, particularly that person. Like I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Okay. This time that was one step too far and I'm done with you. Somebody that I love. Somebody that I know would take a bullet for me. Somebody I know I would take a bullet for. Somebody he's helped raise my children and I've helped raise his. Like we are that much in life together. And in this moment where I pressed the wrong button and he went postal, I everything in me just wanted to go done. I'm done. I don't blame you. Because I want my life and I want it the way I want it. And in our world, I can go find community somewhere else. Well, and isn't, isn't that, that's a very... How do I say it? I think it's a very, unfortunately, a very common response 
for right. most of us. And in fact, I grew up in that environment. So um, when I was a kid, we went to a private school and that was kind of our whole lives. My parents were really involved with the church. My dad was on the elder board there. Um, and there was an interaction, and I don't need to go into the details, but there was a falling out um, between my dad and, and the board. And uh, we literally, we left the church, we left the school, and my, my father never went back to church. Not ever. And your whole world changed yeah, change and so my faith journey was really my own in the sense that ostensibly I grew up in a Christian environment uh, but really that journey was cut short in community there wasn't community I had to go out and find it and this whole <clears throat> that idea of uh, that idea of one foot in and one foot out and I'll unpack that for a second. So when I attend any sort of organization, and I would say this mostly has applied to my faith communities, because I grew up in this environment, don't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. You need to keep your power. Right. Don't engage. Don't give yourself fully to something because you probably are going to want to get out at some point. So don't mm. don't go very deep. Just sit on the fringes. And I'm very good. I'm an Enneagram 3. So I'm very good at people's perception. I can look like I'm really involved right. and very um, engaged with what's going on. But honestly, if I was to be frank about it, I never really engage and never go deep. Right. Because I want to be ready to get out. Because the deeper you go, the more ties you have, the harder it is to untether and run. The deeper you go, the more cards you give the community on how to hurt you that will lead to the need to have to get out. Indeed. So the, the process, the conviction to give oneself over to a group of people is incredibly fragile, incredibly dangerous. No, I, I, my face is because I absolutely agree with you. It's, and that word, it sort of struck me when you said dangerous, because that's not something that we would, you know, hiking in a forest where there is... Uh, Sasquatch. Sasquatch. <laughs> I was going to say cougar <laughs> sightings, but Sasquatch, yes. I mean, equally dangerous. Um, you know, driving while impaired, that's dangerous, that's stupid. There's this, the, these things that we equate with dangerous, but yeah. we don't necessarily think of community and think of dangerous, but it is, and it, it's... Um, and every interaction I think that we have, whether it's the community, uh, a family or friends or just your spouse, those things can impact how you engage with the world. So in my case, um, going through a divorce where there was a lot of tethers, a lot of tethers and then a, a betrayal and um, eventual breaking down of everything that is really hard to weather and then go into the next relationship, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't invest very right. easily. Right. So this is obviously a very common story, but until you engage, until you have that happen to you, uh, you don't have a sense of how, um, 
It's almost like if you, you know, those little like sea anemones where you yeah. poke them and they're like whoosh, yeah. back in. Like, I feel like in many ways I've lived a lot of my life uh, and even before, but that closed in, like pulled in. And because again, because I am really good at how people see me, I can look really engaged in community and very extroverted. And, but there's always this protective factor of how do I keep myself safe? And, um, I think that challenge of really opening up is a lifelong one. I don't, I don't know. So here's a question. So you have, we have very different backgrounds when it comes to sort of community. Really quickly. Yeah, I, jump in. Yeah, yeah, just really quickly. On this point, so we've just laid out the wow, dangerous, fragile, challenging, hurt. <laughs> yes. And yet, um, a couple podcasts ago, we talked about the blue zones. Yes. About these nine values for quote unquote long life, but we redefined it. And one it. of those was community, right? And we redefined it as no, uh, nine values of being truly human. Yeah. Of, of living the way that humans were made to live. And these little communities around the world where people live to be over 100 years old at an at a exorbitant rate are embracing these, these, these things. And so n- there were nine values, and some of them were dietary, and whatever. But three of the values were community. One was you roll with a crew. They have a group of friends. One a was lifelong crew. Lifelong connection to family, geographically, either living in the same house or living close by. And the third one was participation in religious activities or community activities, like oh, religious activities. The you know? irony. The irony, I know. <laughs> but so here's this National Geographic study. It's not trying to make any religious commentary. They're not trying to make right. any theological commentary. Right. They're just going, we're observing humans. And when humans live a long life, they tend, not just a long life, but a long life with a high quality of life. Three of the nine values we can identify are all about being interconnected with other human beings. Family, friends, and some sort of faith community or some sort of um, community outside of family like that. It's interesting. It's so, striking. It's striking. So three of the nine, and yet it's so easy to lay out the fears yeah. in doing this very thing that is inherently human. So with that thought in mind, when I first met you, oh, good. Yeah. We, we met because, well, we met because of my ex-husband, but how I got to know you was I was involved with your home community group at right. the church that we attended together. Right. And this is a long time ago, long folks. This is time 20 ago. years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were all, we were, we were so spring chicken like then, mm-hmm. weren't we? We were. Um, so I was really struck by you and Amy because I met you before you had, you didn't have any children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were living in an apartment uh, and you lived in the apartment, if I remember correctly, because you wanted to be near the church. Yeah, walking distance. Walking distance, Commun- because you wanted to have... The, the way that you have the community center, we wanted the church to be, be like that. that. Yeah. We wanted to pass our neighbors when and we I, would walk. I didn't actually know that until just a few weeks ago when we were chatting oh. about that. Oh, yeah. That's why that's why we crashed in your apartment for like a week. I, and I when completely we, forgot about that. When we were early married, we didn't, we didn't want to rent. So at that point, our church was in transition. We didn't know where they were going to land, what building they were going to land in. And we didn't want to choose our apartment until we knew that we could be close to our community because that was the community that we defined. And that's the topic of today, actually. Community. Keep going. <laughs> so... Even then, before you had anyone living with you, that was a desire of yours. You had really elevated that goal 
and really put that in front of you as something that was guiding you, guiding your decision making. And I thought you were crazy. Right. And then as you, as the years went by, you bought a house and you started inviting other people to live in the house with you. And when I, when I, I remember thinking about this, uh, I, whether it was a, it was a single guy who needed a, he had a room in the basement, Josh, right. <laughs> Josh had a room in the basement. And then another person moved into another bedroom and you, it, but these were all people that were part of the home community and this kept growing. And, um, and I thought how, again, here me, here's me, the naysayer. I thought that must be incredibly hard. I could not do that. I could not live in community that way. Uh, I want to choose my community. Uh, not that that you weren't choosing it, but I, for me, it was like one or two people were, was the max that I right. could, that I could manage interacting with. So what really propelled you to that space as a young man? And then how has that changed for you over time? Boy, so... And that's a big question. I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect that. But um, So I imagine the story begins... So I grew up in a family that was super insular. Like, it was me, my sister, my parents living in a big house. Just us. I was afraid to bring my friends over. Because mm. the home was so controlled. It was like living in a museum. Mm. Not allowed to leave one toy out, not one fork on the drain board, uh, not one speck of dust on the, f- on the floorboards around my, my room. I had to dust my room every week, the floorboards, as part of living in this museum. Wow. Very strict. The yard immaculate, like a Chinese garden. Not allowed to play in it, not allowed to touch anything. But So this is the world that I grew up in. Literally afraid to bring my friends over. And then... I go off to college and I live communally in college like a lot of people do. And then I move overseas to Albania and I move in Albania right when it's coming out of communism. And it's basically, it's in many ways was a primitive culture, not primitive in the sense that there were cars and there was electricity, even though the electricity didn't work most days, but it was more primitive. I mean, in the value system, it was Mm -hmm. more of a traditional culture. And when I grew up, you and you meet somebody at a cocktail party, and you're like, hey, tell me about you. They say, I'm a doctor. I'm an athlete. I'm a guitar player. I'm a, no, no, no. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm this a. This is I'm what a. I do. Well, what I do, but it's always in individualistic terms. Mm, mm-hmm. You meet an Albanian and you say, hi, tell me about you. They go, I'm from the town of blah, blah, blah. My clan is the such and such clan. Wow. We are this sort of people. We come from the, no, 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 Yeah, it's all communal orientation. Wow. The very, the very structure of the society is a communal structure of, over against American white culture, which is very individualistic in its orientation. We think about everything individually. Yes. Everything. Yes. So I'm in this world and then I'm living in a household with nine people in this household in Albania, most of them Albanians. Most of them don't speak English, and I'm having to learn how to live. And we're eating three meals a day together. The entire house was probably, ooh, we'll say 1,200 square feet. Nine of us. No water, no electricity, candlelight, kerosene heaters, three meals a day underneath a tangerine tree in the courtyard. 
not a lot of private no have private. your own time <laughs> no no and it was one of the most life-giving experiences mm. ever not easy but transformational like it's like i was i was tapping into something beyond myself that i'd never been allowed to experience and i think that that what you just said is super important not easy community is never easy i mean i don't think it is i think there can be moments yeah. of ease and moments of uh, but, 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 but yeah, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both in there. You have the facts of life, life. the facts, facts of life. life. Um, By the way, someone just texted me and said, uh, Blair from the facts of life is walking the Camino de Santiago. I was like, oh, Blair. Oh, Blair. I was always a Joe person myself. But that's, a, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Um, so, so through this process with my family, um, we made what were hard decisions to open our home up and to live in a very small sort of corner of the house and open up whatever space was And that was available. a direct result from that experience overseas. That and just a whole bunch of epiphanies about what does it mean to be whole. And um, we were coming across people who were in transition and needed a safe place because they were coming out of addiction or they were, they were escaping domestic violence or um, something. And they just needed... They needed to be a part of a family where mm. dinner was being made every night and there was a dining room table where you could sit and have conversation. And for some of these people, that the doors were locked at night, that they were safe. You know, there was a couple off the streets that um, that we shared our home with for a couple of years. You know, just safety and, you know. And those are really hard decisions. And just to cut to the end of the story, we don't live that way anymore. Like we stopped several years ago because quite frankly, it just was, it was, uh, it was hard. It was a lot of tension on my family and my boys were getting to be big. They're getting to be teenagers and they just needed more space. And so, um, we've stopped living that way. But what I, what I want to say over against the hard, which is easy to tell almost every day I miss mm. the front porch after dinner and going out on the front porch and sitting and talking about whatever and telling funny stories and processing life together. I miss waking up in the morning while I'm making coffee, having one of these friends walk through the room and being able to ask, how'd you sleep and what's going on? And, or sometimes just make coffee in silence, but just have this other human being that the, the heat of their body, the, 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 the power of their presence just in the room, you know, in the midst of it, I miss all of that. There's mm -hmm. such, there's so much to be gained and I think, you know, I'm probably just a closet hippie when you get down to it. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're in the season of life. But back to you. Well, I actually have sort of, and you know a lot of this, that the opposite story of really my whole life kind of living, living not, not as, as you grew up, but never really opening my home up to someone off the street. Like it was just family. It was just, it was just like for most of my adulthood, when I got married, it was Brian and I, and, right. and, and yes. And it was very individual. It was very focused on what we wanted, what we needed, what, what was going to make our lives better. And then, um, after I got divorced and I, my sister actually moved into the house with me and then I ended up selling that house and we moved into an apartment together. My sister is, uh, when I think of my family, she's very much the person that I'm most connected to. Yeah. Um, she's a gift. and yeah. Fantastic human being. She's amazing. You're amazing, Lissa. Um, 
well, she's my partner in crime. We, we go travel together. We go walk the community together. We hike the Inca Trail together. We just have wonderful adventures. And, and she's just always been there for me in every single way. And um, so when, again, when I was going through this really traumatic space. And by the way, that's community. Yes. Yes. Keep going. Um, I'm going to get all emotional. Um, <laughs> Usually that's my job. <laughs> I know. Stop taking my. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so after I sold the house, um, as we, we were just sort of getting rid of all my stuff, uh, we were looking at what the next option was. And I said, I really don't want to live by myself can, can we move in together? And we said, yeah. And she said, yes. And so we got an apartment, a two bedroom apartment. We moved in together and we lived that way, um, for a couple years until I left to go travel. And when I came back from traveling and I built this tiny house, uh, I was able to move it. I think I've shared a little bit about where it is here in Portland. It's on the front yard, which is, people are always really confused. They're like, how does that work? Uh, a lot of the lots in Portland are really long and skinny and my, my friend Tom's house is at the back of the property and so my house is kind of on the front front side and it's like off the driveway yeah but it's but it's like a big garden though yeah it's a huge garden in the front it's a really beautiful perfect space for a tiny house it really is I was you just so lucky. so lucky that Tom <laughs> and actually um, little side note Tom is going to be our guest on our next podcast <gasps> no Yes, I'm very, very excited. And part of the reason, you know, there's a couple reasons. Tom really became um, close. We became really close because we walked some some uh, of the Camino together in Spain. And we'll talk about that on the next podcast. But when I moved into this space, I was friends with Tom and we were close. But Tom also has three housemates that live with him in his house. He's a quite big house. It's the four, mothership. The mothership. We'll call it the, you know, the the Graham Mance, uh, and it is, um, he's had various roommates over the years, but these, the three guys that were living there when I moved in had been there more or less like five years. So it was really a solid community when I moved in. Since that point, one gentleman has moved out. He got married and moved out. Um, and another lovely, lovely guy named Gary moved in, but the, 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 the essence of the house has remained the same. And so when I moved in, I thought, oh, this is going to be really great because I'll have my private space. Right. And then I get to pop over literally a minute, you know, half, 20 seconds and I'm in, I'm in the bigger house and I get to engage with people. Because honestly, one of the reasons or one of the challenges that people talk about with tiny house living, especially if you're a single person, is a lot of property that people can put tiny houses on are out, outside the city. They're in a removed location. So you, you, you feel isolated unless you have someone living with you. And in my case, I really was, did not want that. So I moved in here. And one of the things that's happened, I'll just give you an example. Um, we, we have this, this tradition now, this Monday night tradition. And okay, so I'm going to stop you. Yes. So you're living in a tiny house, yeah. 20 feet from the front door of the mothership house that yes. has four people living in it. Yep. And yet, geographically, you guys are a community. Yes. You're sharing a, a chunk of land, a chunk of this earth that mm -hmm. we did not inherit from our parents, but was loaned to us by our children, this chunk of land. And here in this space, you guys are trying to figure out how to be in community together. Yes. 
And so what are the mechanisms of that community look like? What are what are the what are the ways that you guys actually maintain interconnectedness? Well, so Monday night is really I when I, when I talk about when I share this story with people outside my home, like literally every single person that I share this story with, their eyes light up mm-hmm. and they get this wistful look and they say, "Oh, I want that." And what it is is it just started because Tom and Jake were cooking together on Monday nights and they just decided to start kind of combining their resources and honestly being a little more efficient with their time and they decided on Monday nights they would get together and cook dinner together so Tom for a while was planning all the meals but over the course of time each one of us has started joined in on this Monday night cooking fest and what it has evolved into is that all of us get together on Monday nights. One of us shops and plans the meal and it rotates. So every week there is this big cooking party. We have a, we cook together, we share our lives, we talk about the week, and then we sit down at the table, glass of wine, we, we eat together and we have community. And uh, on many facets, this is, has been so life-changing on a very basic level. I only have to plan meals and shop once every four weeks. For Mondays? For Mondays. Now, do you guys cook additional food for yes. eating during the week? Yes. So we're cooking We're cooking food for the entire week. So if we have, we usually, so we'll usually plan three dishes and we'll, we'll quadruple the recipe or triple the recipe so that we feed, so each person gets five or six servings. So for example, this week there was chicken enchiladas with a, salsa verde there was this incredible roasted vegetable salad and then we had a a lentil sweet potato soup uh that i'm still eating that soup went a long way and and all of that food this week for me i've eaten all week on it it cost me 15 dollars. so you've managed to build in a ceremony that fosters conversation interconnectedness that has celebration and sharing of a bottle of wine, conversation Actually, around the... two, two, two bottles, probably. Um, yeah. Was... <laughs> <clears throat> a meal uh, around a table together, the way that humans have always done, connected over food. And then out of it, you also get the better part of a week's worth of entrees, uh, saving you money, saving you, going to the store 16 times, uh, all the prep work, the stress of what am I going to make, especially when I'm cooking for myself and am I inspired enough to go get something. All of that is being relieved by this one evening ceremony. That's exactly it. It is a beautiful thing. So when I go to the store and I have, you know, the once every four weeks and I lay my groceries down, uh, inevitably the clerk always says to me, oh, Wow. You having a dinner party? What are you cooking? I don't know where they're from. <laughs> now, you were starting to go a little Canadian on me there. Oh, oh, oh my. wow. Sure, you betcha. You betcha. That looks like a lot of food. <laughs> Let's not do accents. Okay, sorry. I know. <clears throat> um, the and, and I share the story. And again, like, just like I said, there's this, this longing for that type of, of connectedness. And I think, I think the thing that you were saying earlier when you jumped in about my sister and said that's what community does this is the first time I've experienced community where 
it is actually a part of my life. It's not something added on. Does that make sense? So throughout my 20s, 30s, a community group was something I had to go to on a Wednesday night and I went and it was an additional thing that it was sort of a, it was almost, it was something I did every week because I thought that I should. And this community is in my life. It impacts my life and brings goodness to it and saves me money. It gives me more time back in my life. And it's, it's a part of the regular flow of my life. It isn't something that I've tacked on to it. And I think that is the reason why it's impacted me so greatly. Uh, it isn't something that I have to do. Uh, it's something that I get to do. And I honestly, Mondays have never been a great day, right? Mondays are always the day we go back to work. It's tiring. We just got through with our weekend. Every single person on Monday nights, we look forward to it. We talk about that, how we're excited. It's Monday night. We get to hang out with our with our close friends and have this experience. And so, you know, this isn't to say that this has erased all of my, you know, quote unquote, trauma about community, but it is the first time that I am so thankful for it. It's not something I have to do. It's something that I am blessed with. Mm. And that has been a shift for me. And and to be honest, this is something that Tom has really fostered. He's really you know, he could live he could live without any roommates if he wanted to. He doesn't have to have roommates, but he chooses to because he wants to foster that type of community. And I think that type of spirit, like the one that you had uh, and still do, you know, and probably will as the, as the seasons change and your life changes, be able to step back into that in a different way. Tom in this phase of his life has been able to really um, embrace that and offer Mm -hmm. it to other people. And for me as a single woman who needed that, I, I feel like these guys are my family and that is very powerful. I'm, I'm really struck by how your current living situation, communal situation is evidence of these things we were talking about at the beginning, these national geographic study. And what I intuitively saw in Albania, that there is something inherently human about being interconnected with others. It's, it's, actually the way we were made and it's not an it's not an extrovert and introvert thing it is a human thing so that's one secondly i'm struck by your story and you started with talking about the community center that you walk to and pass your neighbors and meet neighbors you would normally see the the community center is all people from the neighborhood which is a form of community and then you ended with talking about this living situation where you're geographically bound to these people and you have set weekly rhythms to make sure you stay connected to one another. And out of that, I'm just, I just want to, I want to acknowledge these themes that uh, this commuter transient life that we live is, I think, often undermining what it means to be human this hyper individualism and framing my entire world about what I want, when I want, how I want. 
I want the I want the house as clean as possible and whatever definition of clean, either physically clean or emotionally clean or psychologically clean or relationally clean. I want it sterile because sterile I can control. And yet there's these things that we do where suddenly we release control and say, I'm going to actually give myself over to the dance of humanity. Mm. Come what may. And this morning I got punched in the nose by the dance <laughs> by the dance and that happens yes it does because arms flail and you move the wrong way and quite frankly i stepped on a toe and the response was i got punched in the nose right right so just trying to be holistic trying to embrace the lost in the pilgrim mm-hmm. um this is this is part of what it means to be human and what i think god is or what our life is calling us to very well said we should wrap up i think so i'm done i'm done with my tea i need to get another 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 mug may i read you what troy sent me yeah really quickly to wrap up troy wrote listen to your show podcast no more mr nice guy enjoyed it you and kari have great rapport oh i'll make sure to get by and rate it on itunes have a great weekend troy oh thanks troy thanks troy so um and thanks to uh thanks for taking the time to sit and listen with us please continue to follow and rate and respond and send us notes if you want if there's something we can talk about that you find interesting yeah we absolutely love getting emails and um totally and hearing what you're doing and um you sharing on on all the on the socials about how how our conversations are impacting you so thank you so much and um, we'll look forward to talking more about community next time next time with tom thank you for walking with us To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.